Do you realize that we're the most forceful and boastful among other Christians? And we have the least amount of patience for them, too. You've got a girlfriend you've been knowing since third grade, and she didn't cheat, she didn't took your boyfriend, she didn't lied and took your money, and y'all still besties. You got a sister at church who happened to sit in your seat that you didn't have a name on, but you won't talk to her. She don't even know why. But Paul says, understand this, we are called to walk lowly, handle each other carefully and gently, but be long-suffering. Sometimes you have to love even when someone's not lovely. Walking in unity isn't always easy, but it's necessary as a follower of Christ. Welcome to the Amity Bible Church Podcast. Senior Pastor George Martin Jr. is wrapping up an important sermon series, A Life Induced by the Holy Spirit. Today's word is walking in unity from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now let's listen as Pastor Martin dives deeper into the subject. So ultimately, if we're going to walk in the Spirit and if we're going to walk in the light, we have to absolutely live a life that has been impacted through love. And then finally today, walk in unity. Because the Spirit unifies us all. We understand that we're in lights. So we have to reject our old way of doing things, going about it our own way. And then we must wa- walk with this sense of God's love having been demonstrated to us that he then calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Now, somebody wise enough here today might say, well, who is my neighbor? Because everybody I don't like. The reality is, he says, those who are inhabitants in the earth with you, that's your neighbor. So when we understand loving God with all of our heart and loving our neighbor as ourselves, being, he said, these two are Everything that's been given in the law can be fulfilled in these two things. If you love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So today as we talk about this walking in unity, it's important to understand that we will find ourselves, because we do have our own ideas and thoughts, I find this very evident. Anytime that we've traveled with a group and we... Uh, food always divides us. <laughs> food, food divides. You know, you, you, you ask the group, hey, what do y'all want? What do you have a taste for? Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> and then you go to pull in the raisin cane. Well, I don't want no chicken. <laughs> and then somebody say, I do want chicken. I just don't want this kind of chicken. And so ultimately, because we do have our own desires and preferences, there are certain times where it's hard for us to find unity. However, when it comes to serving God, it is important for us to understand that when we look at the triune God, who is described as being three but yet one, and they're all equal but also on one accord. We can see through the triune God what he's desired for his people. That although three distinct persons, but yet still one, that although there's many of us with different and distinctions, but yet we come together in one unity 
for the sake of the cross. There's a statement. It was inferred in the song that was just sung. United we stand. You can finish it. Divided we fall. It's a phrase that's most often used to help inspire unity and collaboration. However, at, at its core, the concept lies with this ideology of collective agreement and coming together to accomplish more. But it also, by speaking of divided we fall, it speaks of when we separate that oftentimes we are weaker and less apt to succeed. So when we think about what Paul is saying, Paul realized that that was our problem, that we don't always agree. But he says that although unity is difficult, that we must work to that end because working together in unity has optimal benefit. But even with this reality of this, op this optimal benefit, we still may find ourselves having difficulty gaining unity but also maintaining it. With this in mind, he compels the, Christian at Ephes the Christians at Ephesus, he says to them, he says, endeavor. Endeavor or pursue and maintain unity. Or this oneness that has been provided to us in Christ. It's not just that God has called us Christians and children of God, he's also called us the body of Christ. And we all know that that one body is all unified, working in concert with one another. Do you realize that if you had a sprained ankle and your, uh, your sprained right ankle and your left side said, I'm not helping out. <laughs> I know you got a sprain and you can't put weight on that other leg, but you want to figure out something else. Because ultimately, one of the things the doctors would tell us that when we are injured on one side, that most often we'll put too much strain on the other side because the body naturally accomplishes or wants to accommodate the fact that the other side is weaker. So Paul says we must come together and endeavor for unity. But then he also is speaking to us today. Because he's not just compelling the church at Ephesus of that day, he's compelling the global church today. And even us here at Amity Bible Church. So this, this phrase, united we stand, divided we fall, is actually attributed to a Greek storyteller called Aesop. Aesop was a, a slave who actually lived between 620 and 564 BCE. And it's a part of a collection of fables that he told that were intended to give or to teach a lesson. It's th these collections, uh, this collection of fables are called or titled the Aesop meaning that it's a collection that, that, that belongs to Aesop. Now, here's something that I want you to understand, because he tells one particular fable 
that I want to rehearse back into your hearing today that I believe will help us to understand how important it is for us to walk in unity. Now, the reality that we have is that uh, the apostle Peter actually said the same thing or put forth the same principle many years later in Scripture, and I'll share that in a moment. The fable that I want to share with you today is called The Four Oxen and the Lion. The Four Oxen and the Lion. The story is told of a lion who used to prowl around. There were four oxen who were grazing in a field. And there was a lion that would oftentimes prowl around trying to figure out how to attack them. But each time that he would set forth his effort to come against them, they would all back up together, tail to tail, and they would poke their horns out, and he could never get to any one of them because they were back together, and they were all standing in agreement understanding that he was never going to get through their horns, he then devised a plan. He began to whisper in one of their ears and, be, and caused them to become jealous and divided and contentious. And after they all became jealous, divided, and contentious, then they all decided we're no longer going to graze together. We're going to go all to our own corner of the pasture. And thus, he succeeded. He came in and picked off one at a time because they were divided. The apostle Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, he says, be vigilant and alert because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. See, what he understands is that if he can divide us, then he can conquer us. But when we come together in unity, he is outnumbered and outpowered. Aesop shares this fable about a lion who attacks and divides in order to conquer. And the phrase is attributed to that fable. So as we can see that when we think about Satan, oftentimes when we consider that passage, we actually consider it individually. Most often when you read that, you read that, hey, I got to watch out for the devil because the devil is busy. But we don't put it in the context of the whole and understand that he's always, here's something you need to understand. The devil comes to church. I, I know you didn't believe it. We got our crosses and we're singing about Jesus. Surely he ain't coming. He comes. He's early. And stays late. So we have to understand that when we talk about unity, it speaks of have oneness in mind and oneness in heart. 
Does it mean that we always agree on everything? No, but we agree to be in unity. Because sometimes we get so bent out of shape about things that don't even affect anything but us. I don't know why they got that clear podium up there. <laughs> Every church I've been in had a wood podium, and they had that, that one thing down the front that said, in remembrance of me. What kind of church is this? I can't go to a church without a wood podium. Because we get worked up over things and we miss the plan of God because he's working to bring all of this together in one space with one mind and one heart. So let's, that leads me to my first point for the day. That it's not just a suggestion. Unity is a calling for the born again. Look what Paul says in verse number one and two. He says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of your calling. Because I know oftentimes we relegate calling to pastors and those who have a special calling. But he says to generally everyone there who believes, he says, I'm beseeching you that you have a calling to walk in unity. Walk worthy of your calling with all lowliness gentleness, and long-suffering. Do you realize that we're the most forceful and boastful among other Christians? And we have the least amount of patience for them, too. You got a girlfriend you've been knowing since third grade, and she didn't cheat, she didn't took your boyfriend, she didn't lied and took your money, and y'all still besties. You got a sister at church who happened to sit in your seat that you didn't have a name on, but you won't talk to her. She don't even know why. Mm -mm, mm, I don't do her. But Paul says, understand this. We are called to walk lowly, handle each other carefully and gently, but be long-suffering. Sometimes you have to love even when someone's not lovely. Because that's what Jesus does for you. You know good and well you were sick of you a long time ago, but thanks be to God Jesus ain't sick of you. Sometimes I'm bending down beyond the prayer and ask God to forgive me again. And I'm wondering if he's going to do it. And then the word comes and said, God who is rich in mercy. Then the word comes and speaks to me and says, God gives me new mercies every morning. So every time I find myself wondering, is he done with me? Uh, then I'm reminded, Brother Ron, that he's long-suffering. And the same long-suffering I need from him, I have to offer it to you. So he says, walk worthy of your calling. You've been called to this. Now, if we say, Pastor, what does he mean by walk worthy of this calling? Well, in other words, he's saying it's essentially living your life with unity as your aim in a divided 
combative, self-serving, and personal ambition world. Because when he says walk, he's talking about lifestyle. And lifestyle speaks of what you do systemically or continuously. Not perfectly, because no one's perfect. Do you know, let me help you, I'm going to help some couples out today. One of the things that, 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 that destroys our relationships is because we're always using definitive terms. You always. You don't never. Every time I look around, do you understand that can never be true, Brother Tommy? Because that would speak of perfection, and none of us are perfect. To do it every time means I'm perfectly doing wrong every time. But what it does, it, it sucks hope out of the relationship. Because here's how it works. If I happen to do it, let's say I do it 8 out of 10, and we talk about it, we pray about it, and I start working on it. And I get eight down to five. I'm working on this thing. And it took a lot for me to get that three off, right? But just as you come up and say, you don't never. Then I'm thinking, well, all the work I put into getting those three off, what's the point? So by being so definitive, then you take hope out of it because what's the hope in trying if I don't get recognized? So we have to say things like, a lot of the times, <laughs> many times, more often than not. Now, I know that takes a little more effort, but that's necessary because that's what long-suffering is, being willing to do what it takes to make sure we have unity. So I have to change my vocabulary. Always, never. Every time, all the time, I've got to get those out. I want you to do this. Take an inventory this week and see how many times you do it. You'll be surprised how often you say things like that. You don't never remember to pick up those socks off the floor. And then you defend them. I picked them up yesterday. <laughs> yeah, but I'm still saying it down here today. We take hope out of it because here's the thing that the human mind has to have, hope. Watch a child. The child always, it shows us how we function as human beings. A child always has to have something to look forward to. On their fifth birthday, they're already talking about what birthday? The sixth one. Because there's always this hope of something coming. In relationship with others, when we take the hope out by saying always and never, then what do they have to look forward to? Because the affirm affirmation of saying, you know what? I've acknowledged that you have been gotten better. This has really frustrated me still because it's still happening, but I want you to know I have noticed that things are getting better. And that spurs hope. And when we take that and apply that to all our relationships, even our relationships with others here at the church, Sister Johnson, she always late. No, Deacon, Deacon Jones, he always over there. Look at him. 
The reality is that it can never always be because that would mean perfection. And we're not perfect. So here's another thing. This was, this was a song earlier, a reference earlier. Psalm 133. If you would turn there with me, Psalm 133. I want you to see this because the psalmist says something that's important. And I want to tie it into our gathering and being amongst other believers because we often quote that's this passage or some portion of it when we're, when we're gathering for a, 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 a celebration or something that's good or positive. But I want to show you something related to what the, the psalmist had in intent. And David is actually the psalmist right here. He says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brothering. And notice what he says, to dwell together in unity. Not just to have it at some point, but to dwell together in unity. He said, it is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edges of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. It's important because this Psalm 133 is actually a part of what's called the songs or songs, psalms or songs of ascension. And the, 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 the compilation of the psalms of ascension are from Psalm 120 to, ver, to Psalm 134. Of those, four of those are attributed to David, which is one of this 133. So Psalm 122, Psalm 124, Psalm 131, and Psalm 133, those are all attributed to David. Then there's one to Solomon, verse 127, and the rest are anonymous. But here's why this is important. These were a collection of songs that were sung as the people of God were coming into Jerusalem to worship. But here's what's important about that. They were coming from various different parts of the world, different cultural differences and different spaces and even language barriers. So when they were coming, they were being reminded, as we get ready to go to church, now you got me. As we're getting ready to go with other believers and collectively coming together with other believers, let us remind ourselves that even if it gets confusing, it is good for us to dwell in unity. Even though we have our differences, it's good that we dwell in unity. But he says it's, it's like when God would anoint, when God looks down and sees unity in his church, he says, it's just like when he would anoint the high priest. And he speaks of Aaron being anointed. They would pour the oil, anointing oil on it, and they would pour it enough that it would just drip down upon his garment. Because God was setting him apart for his holy purpose. Because we all as Christians have been set apart for God's holy purpose. When we come together, when God looks down and sees unity among those that are set apart for his holy purpose, he said, it's just like when I'm anointing oil an anointing oil flowing down, and not just a little unity, enough that it drips down, spills over. So when we look at these Psalms of Ascension, Psalm 120 to 134, I, I would encourage you to spend some time reading them. They're, they'll bless you. But you'll find again and again 
this idea of collective gathering, but also one accord. This leads me to my second point for the day. The Holy Spirit is actually the uniter. He's the one that unites us all. Look at what Paul says in verse number three. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. But he says that in the bond of peace, that we're bound together to be peaceful. You know what you shouldn't have at church? A lot of bickering and fussing and fighting and all out in the parking lot. One of the saddest stories that I could recall was a church there in Indianapolis in which the police had to be called to the service because they were divided over something related to the direction or something was happening, and they were down at the, at the altar arguing, and somebody in there patted their hip to make it known that they wasn't alone. And the authorities had to come. In the house where the Lord has placed his name, where he says, unity, we have to have law enforcement to help us to find it. Sadness. But when we have the intent of remaining and endeavoring to be unified because we all have the one spirit in us who's working to to accomplish the will of God, then even when we disagree, we can agree to disagree, but to still walk in unity. I sit with the elders. We meet monthly, four men of God who sit down and look over the matters of the church, and we pray. And not every time we all come together with the same ideas. But one of the things that we do have, and we can testify to you today, they're here and they can stand and witness that we don't get to going. We pray, we make our points, and we sense where God is guiding us. And even when we say, you know, I still think we should do this, that's the direction we're going in. Because that's what God would have, unity. Because the Holy Spirit is promoting God's plan of unity in our hearts. When we think about this, he says there's this one spirit. Keep the bond of the spirit. Keep the unity of the spirit. So when we think about unity, oftentimes it's hard for us to understand that because when we hear the Holy Spirit, we hear him in our mind's voice. That's why we have to be discerning enough through the word of God to know when it's our thoughts and not God's thoughts. Because when somebody says, the Lord told me, they, heard, they hear in their own mind's voice. The way we discern that is when we see that what we're thinking don't align with Scripture. Then I know that's just me. That's just Martin. But when I hear what aligns with the Word of God and consistent with God's desire for unity, then I know that is Him. Here's what, what, John, what, what Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 7, 13 through 15. He says, however, when he, the Holy Spirit comes, the Holy Spirit of truth, he come, has come. He will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority. He's a unifier. But whatever he hears, he will speak. 
and he will tell you things to come. Verse 14, he will glorify me. He says, anytime that you're hearing something that does not glorify Jesus, it ain't, it ain't the Holy Spirit. He says, for he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Verse 15, all things that the Father has are mine, therefore I said that he will take mine and declare it to you. God's plan for unity is the Holy Spirit's plan in our heart. We come together. Because unity is God the Father's desire. I've got another fable that I want to share with you. Another one of Aesop's fables. This fable is entitled, The Bundle of Sticks. So Aesop told a story of a father who had several sons. And the sons were always bickering and arguing. They found a reason to divide over everything. So the father was exacerbated. He says, I'm just trying to figure out how can I show my boys that, they, that I want them to come together in unity. So it came to him. He, he grabbed a bundle of sticks. He tied them together, and he handed them to his boys, and he says, each one of you, break those sticks. And so they were trying to break it, and they were trying to break it, and none, none could do it. Then he took the sticks, and he unbundled them, and he gave each one of them a stick. And he says, now break it. And they broke it. And he says, do you see that when you guys are all united, you're going to be much stronger? But when you divide and separate, you're not as strong. He says, just as that bundle, none of you could break it when they were together. But when they were separated, any of you could. He says, because there's unity, there's strength in unity. We as a collective body of believers, as we are unified, we're stronger. But division weakens us. Here's a note for you to take from that. Disunity impairs the Holy Spirit's work. If the Holy Spirit is working to bring unity in us, when we, are dis, when we have disunity, it impairs his ability to bring about his plan. And Paul, if you, if you finish reading the rest of this chapter, when you get down to verse 30 or so, you find that he starts talking about not uh, grieving the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit is our unifier and he's bringing us together to strengthen us, that disunity, it causes us to be weakened. Here's what, what Paul says in the same fourth chapter of Ephesians, verse 30 through 32. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking... Because sometimes we talk about each other. Be put away from you with all malice. And here's what he says. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Paul says when we don't follow these instructions, 
it grieves the Holy Spirit who's working to be the unifier in the body. That leads me to my third and final point for the day. Unity requires intentional effort in oneness. Would you repeat that with me? Unity requires intentional effort in oneness. Look what he says. He says, endeavoring to keep the unity. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body. Now, he goes into this, this litany of oneness. He says, endeavor and keep the unity because there's just one body. There's just one spirit. Just as you were called into one hope, you, there's only one Lord. There's one faith. There's one baptism. One God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. He says, he says all this oneness, is endeavor in oneness, continuing to understand that unity and disunity will always be in conflict, but we must always choose unity. That wraps up another awesome word. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us or receive these and other sermon notes visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.